It is so good to see everybody this morning. Uh, once again, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to the 119th Psalm. Just uh, pardon me if I keep looking at my phone. Um, I just have to make sure that, that it's uh, working correctly, so just hang tight with me there. Psalm 119, verse number 57. We're going to read verses 57 down through verse 64 for the eighth uh, set in our psalm. Who can tell me, who can tell me why there are 22 sets of eight verses in Psalm 119? Oh, I thought, I mean, I thought this meant your hands up. Yes, sir. Correct. And how are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet related to the 22 sets? Yes. Correct. The, the letter for that set is the first letter of each of the eight verses in, uh, in uh, Hebrew. All right, so that's why it's named like that. And of course, that reminds us of how important the written Word of God is. All right, let's read verses 57 down through verse 64, and then we'll pray together. Verse 57 says, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to study your word once again. Thank you for each and every of the... Uh, uh, members of the Sunday school class here this morning. Lord, we do pray for those that can't be with us. I think especially of Miss Judy. And, uh, and Lord, there are many others who, uh, for various reasons, can't be here this morning. I pray for them that you would give them comfort and grace and you would help them with their uh, physical ailments. And uh, uh, I think especially of Mrs. Muxlow. Uh, I pray that you would bless her and, and uh, help her to just rest in you and trust in you and give her the peace uh, that passes all understanding. And I pray for uh, our students here today. Lord, I pray those that, for those that are listening in, that, Lord, our hearts, please help our hearts to be attentive to your word, to really take heed to what your word says, Lord. And give me wisdom, Lord, as, as uh, the mouthpiece, Lord, to merely explain and, uh, and uh, expound the word of God, that your people might benefit from it. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon that as well. So, Lord, we just trust you to meet with us here this morning, but not just uh, during this first hour, but also in, the, uh, in the, the morning service. Lord, please meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 57. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. A portion. 
A portion is something, is basically, the dictionary says, it's, it's the part of something allotted or belonging to one person. It's a share. And when you read the Bible, you'll find that the word portion is often related. You know, we think of a portion like, you know, a portion of food or something like that. But it's just, uh, when, you, when you read the Bible, you see there's a connection between the word portion and the word inheritance or the word heritage. Sometimes you'll see the, the word portion related to the word lot or uh, a part. The idea, especially, uh, it, they're used uh, similarly, but the idea is, when you, especially when you're talking about property or land, that's where you often see this. Like, for instance, when a, when a parent dies and they have several children, they'll give an inheritance to each children, you know, in an ideal situation after the government gets their, you know, chunk of flesh like they always do. But they'll, the, each child gets an inheritance, and, and the, it's called a portion because you divide that inheritance up, and that, thus it's called a portion, a lot. Now, when you think of it especially as, as the, you know, physical possessions, you might think of heirlooms or jewelry or things like that, but there also could be property. And remember, in the time in which the Bible was written, and, and it's true in our day too, but I think less so, that land, that little strip of land the size of New Jersey in... Israel, this, this called Israel, is that was the, the inheritance. That was the portion that God gave to the people of Israel. Uh, way back in the days, of, in the days of, uh, of Moses and Joshua, God gave it to them. He did not give all the other lands to them. It wasn't intended that they would, they would inherit and possess all of the other lands of the world. It was only for that one sliver of land. And each tribe had one-twelfth of that land except one, which tribe did not have a portion or an inheritance in the land? Levi. Why didn't Levi, somebody, somebody raise your hand, why didn't Levi have a portion, a lot, a share, a, a heritage, that is a plot of land in the land of Canaan? What's the answer? Yes, sir. The Lord was their portion. So a portion is something that you possess, something you're, you're given that's allotted to you. It, it's yours and no one else's, or it's yours and it's your personal possession. That's what it says when it says, thou art, verse 52, 57, I'm sorry, thou art my portion. God, he counted God as his portion. Now, we might own a lot of things in our lives, personal possessions and lands and such, but we, we should have the same testimony and the same, uh, we should have the same heart. David, you know, David, assuming David wrote Psalm 119, which I think that's probably accurate, David had many, many possessions. Do a little bit of muting here. David had many possessions, but he called the Lord his portion, it was his greatest possession. Um, there's also, in the Bible, there's also the, the mention of the firstborn son. The firstborn son would also get a portion of the inheritance, but he would get a what portion? What kind of portion? A double portion. So I guess if you, had, if you had four kids and you would divide your land up into five and you'd give two to one and then one each to the other three. And so that's the idea of a portion. Now look, if, if you would, hold your place here and look at Psalm uh, 16. Psalm 16. Psalm 16. 
Now, I'm not trying to be a smarty pants, but I do think that we need to, we need to understand what Psalm 16 verses 5 and 6 are saying because it's often misunderstood. Psalm 16 verses 5 and 6 says this, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Same, same basic idea. The Lord is my possession. Right? The Lord is my possession. Thou maintainest my lot. Notice, I remember what I said before? The word portion is related to inheritance, a heritage, a lot, a part. All right? There's the word lot. So it's talking about, it's, it, the idea is a lot. You know, we, we, we subdivide lots, right? When, we, when they build houses, they subdivide lots. It's a little section. That's what it's talking about. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. All right, the lines, that is of a lot. The way, the way something is divided. Not too long ago, a few days ago, uh, Joshua and Isaiah and myself took our, our, our dog uh, up here to the back of the property here, and we were just wandering out in the woods. It was great fun. We were wandering around the woods back there. We wanted our dog to have time to get out into the woods and stuff. And we came across the line, the property line where the lot is divided for this, you know, about seven acres, I think it is. But there, you could see the stake and you could draw the line. You could visualize the line where our, our property ended and their property began. This is what that's talking about, the lines. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Now, you've heard, you've heard songs that talk about I have a goodly heritage and stuff like that. And and oftentimes, the way I've heard this verse described is, is it describes one's family. If you have godly family, godly parents, and things like that, and that's a, that's a fine thing. But a herit- we think of a heritage as something that, we think of a heritage as of something in the past. But a heritage, biblically speaking, is a present possession. It's what we have now. And, and in this case, David is not talking about land. He's talking about the Lord. He's saying, God is what I possess. He is my God. I have Him. And, that's, and he uses the language like he's talking about land and property in verses 5 and 6, but he's not talking about land and property because verse 5 says, the Lord is my portion. The language is the same, but the object is different. Here's the thing. For every believer, you, if you are a child of God, You have God in you. He is your portion. He is your portion. Now listen to this. This is a a kind of a lengthy quotation, but it's good. Listen to this. I would counsel every Christian to answer all temptations with this short saying, The Lord is my portion. O Christian, when Satan or the world shall tempt thee with honors, answer, The Lord is my portion. And when they shall tempt thee with riches, answer, the Lord is my portion. And when they shall tempt thee with preferments, answer, the Lord is my portion. And when they shall tempt thee with the favors of great ones, answer, the Lord is my portion. Yea, and when this persecuting world shall threaten thee with the loss of thy estate, answer, the Lord is my portion. And when they shall threaten thee with the loss of thy liberty, answer, the Lord is thy portion. And when they shall threaten thee with the loss of friends, answer, the Lord is my portion. And when they shall threaten thee with the loss of life, answer, the Lord is my portion. O sir, if Satan should come to thee with an apple, as once he did to Eve, 
We know it wasn't an apple, but moving on. Tell him that the Lord is your portion. Or the grape, as he once did to Noah. Tell him that the Lord is your portion. Or the change of raiment, as once he did to Gehazi. Tell him the Lord is your portion. Or with a wedge of gold, as he once did to Achan. Tell him that the Lord is your portion. Or with a bag of money, as he once did to Judas. Tell him that the Lord is your portion. Or with a crown or a kingdom, as he once did to Moses. Tell him that the Lord is your portion. Here's the point. And this is, a, this is a sound biblical point. When you understand and when we understand that God is our portion, He is our possession. No other possession, let me put it like this, every other possession that we might have or every other potential possession that we might be tempted to pursue takes on a much lesser value, or it should. Look at Hebrews We'll be back in Psalm 119 in a minute, but look at Hebrews chapter 13, if you would. And this really sets, Hebrews 13 really sets it in the correct light. Of course it sets it in correct light. That's kind of an obvious statement. Verse 5. <clears throat> it says this. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Now you think of what you have, your car, your house, your property, whatever you have, your jewelry, whatever you have. Be content with such things as you have. And that's a fine way to look at this verse. But actually, the primary and direct way to interpret this verse is in the next sentence. Look what it says. What's the next word where I stopped? And be content with such things as ye have. What's the next word? For. What do you have? The Lord, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what that means? God is with you. You have him as your inheritance. You have him as your prized possession. So that's the basis for our contentment. That's the basis for not being covetous is because no matter what we have or don't have, we do have Him. You see that? That is what combats covetousness. Now, there might be things in our life that we want. Just because you want something doesn't necessarily mean you covet. Covet, co covet is ex want to excess. that leads you into sin. But see, when, you're, when, the, when you recognize the Lord is your portion, even though there might be something you would desire to have at some point, without that, you're still content because you have the Lord. He is your possession. The Lord is your portion. And so the sin of covetousness is framed in terms of what we currently possess. And what do we possess above all things? We possess the Lord. He is our portion. Our, our inheritance. And this is also why covetousness is called idolatry. Because when there's things that we want, we're no longer, when, when, we, when there are things that we want to the point of covetousness, we are no longer content with what we have, the Lord. So that thing rises above the Lord Himself. You see that? That's the connection in these verses. That's why covetousness is called idolatry. 
because that thing rises above the Lord and we're no longer content with him. And that's, that's why covetousness, you know, in, uh, even in the Ten Commandments, it's such a, 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 a described as a wicked sin in God's sight because it is actually an affront to God himself that we have him and yet we are not content. So that's the Lord is my portion. Look at the next verse in Psalm 119. Verse number 58 says this, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Very quickly on this. The word favor is similar to the word grace. Of course, they define grace as, people define grace as unmerited favor. And so, just thinking, thinking along those lines, I entreated thy favor, or you could say, or think about the grace of God. It reminds us the fact that we ask for favor from God means that we don't have any merit to demand it of God. We don't have, God doesn't owe a debt to us whereby we can ask for his favor and, or demand his favor from us. No, it's given without our merit. It's given from the goodness of God. That's unmerited favor. But here's the thing. Whenever you need help with some spiritual duty that you have, some spiritual exercise that you need to perform, oftentimes when, when we're faced with that, we, we, we find that the, the strength that we need to fulfill our obligations before God. That is to obey His commands, to love Him, to follow Him. We find the strength is just not there. Let's just be honest and transparent. Sometimes we don't feel like obeying the Lord. Sometimes we don't feel like we have the strength to do His will and what He wants us to do on a daily basis. Do you know what you should do in that case and what I should do in that case? Entreat the Lord. You go to Him and say, God, I don't feel like reading my Bible. Lord, I don't feel like praying. I woke up this morning, Sunday morning, I don't feel like being at church. I lack the strength to do your will. I don't know how, Lord, I don't have the strength to, to honor and reverence my husband. I don't have the strength to love and cherish my wife. So you entreat the Lord. When you don't have strength, God has grace. And grace is supply. And you can ask God for that. That's what this is saying. Because ultimately, it's going to be the grace of God, the favor of God that holds you up and enables you to do it. That's what the Bible, the Bible says. Hebrews 4.16, listen to this, and you'll understand what I'm saying even more clearly, hopefully. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find, look at what it says, find grace to help. What helps us? Grace, that favor of God. In time of need. And the context of that is temptation. When we're tempted to sin or we're tempted to fail to fulfill some obligation, some duty, some spiritual exercise, some something the Lord wants us to do, fulfill His will. He says, come to me, entreat favor, ask for grace. Even when you don't have the desire, ask God for the desire. See, we are, God has not left us alone to do this Christian life, to live for Him, to love Him, to walk with Him. No, 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 no. He has not left us alone to do it. He says, when you need help, ask me. That's where often I fail, right there. 
I don't think to ask him. But he says, entreat, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Look at verse 59, if you would. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy statutes. Verse 60 says, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. These two go together. You know what this is? This is a good description of repentance. Repentance. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 59, it says, I thought on my ways. Spurgeon, I thought, was, was, uh, had, a, had a, good, a good little summary of this. He said, there will be no repenting until there is deep, earnest thought. And that's where it fails right there. When we are out of the way of the Lord, we're, we have sin in our life, we're not walking in His way, in His will as we should. We fail at repentance at this point. Before it even starts. Before we even get to the point of repentance, we fail. You know why? Because we refuse to think on our ways. We refuse to examine our lives. That's where it fails. We refuse to entertain the idea that we could be deficient in any way in our walk with God. We just, we put that out of our mind. That is off the table. We will not honestly look at our own selves, at our feet, and say, Lord, we ask, ask these probing questions of ourselves. Lord, am I doing your will? Am I obeying what he wants me to do? Do I have known sin in my life? We just don't even bother to think about it because we might not like the answer. And so we don't think. The psalmist says, I thought on my ways. And you know what? That refusal to think on our ways comes out of arrogance and pride. You know what else it comes out of? It is an idolatrous, hear me now, an idolatrous avoidance of anything unpleasant. In our day, in the United States of America, there is idolatry in the desire to avoid pain. And listen, I, I like to avoid pain as much as anybody. I mean, that's, that's just the, that's the truth. But in our country, in our society, it has risen to an idolatrous level to where people will not look at themselves. They will not seriously consider that they're out of God's way. They will not ask hard questions for fear that the, the answer might be unpleasant because they worship comfort more than God. That's just the reality of it. But the psalmist said, what? I will, I thought on thy ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Listen to these verses here. I'm just trying to hurry along. We could look at each one, but Psalm 26 verse 2 says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart. The reality is, have you ever asked God to try your reins? Talking about your inward man, your motivations, what's in your heart. That's what the reins refers to. Have you ever asked God to try? Not just, the psalmist is not just asking God to examine and to look at his reins and his ways and his heart. You know what he's asking God to do? Test them. Think about that. Try my reins in my heart. How hard it is for us to ask God, Lord, I want you to put what's in my heart to the test. I kind of shudder to think about that. 
But that's what the psalmist is doing. But you can see that openness with God, that transparency, tra- the, the transparent, being transparent with God. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, speaking of the Lord's Supper, listen to this. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. You know, that's one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper that's done from time to time, is to give us an opportunity and a reminder to think on our ways. See, we fall short of repentance when we, and this often happens, we think on our ways, we see that our ways are not God's ways, we see sin in our life. We see where we're falling short of our, of our duties before the Lord, of our, of our faithfulness to God. You know what we do? We fall into discouragement. Well, I just can't do it. We've fallen short. Well, but that's not repentance. That is not repentance. Repentance is not just being sorry over our sin. Repentance is, repentance means to Listen, resolve in the heart. Notice what it says, I turned my feet. That's a resolve in your heart. It's not just, I'm a terrible sinner. No, you are a terrible sinner and I am too. But having seen that, there's a resolve to turn the feet. In other words, a decision in the heart, listen now, and it bears fruit. You know what the fruit of repentance is? A change in action. See, when you change the things you do outwardly, that's not repentance. That's the fruit of repentance. Repentance happens in your heart. That resolve to turn from something. So when the psalmist says, I thought of my ways, that's the sorrow. I turned my feet, that's the repentance in the heart. And then the next verse says, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. You know what he did? the fruit of repentance was he did something different. When he resolved in his heart, he was not going to continue. He was through with this sin. He changed what he did. That's what John the Baptist said. He said to the the people he preached to, he said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Repentance has fruit. And as a Christian, we must repent from time to time. Absolutely. Verse 60 I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. So the question is, we know the psalmist repented and we know he turned his feet. He saw he was wrong, he was sorry, but that led to a a holy resolve in God's sight in his heart to, to turn his feet. So he turned his feet. The question is when? When did he change? When did he turn his feet? And the answer is immediately. How often do we know God's commandments and yet our obedience is not prompt? We procrastinate when we should haste. And that, I want to ask you a question. Delayed obedience. What does the delayed obedience say about our obedience? Why do we have such indecision in our obedience? What we know is, I'm not talking about maybe the ambiguous areas of our life where we're not sure. I'm talking about things we know we should be doing or not doing. Why do we delay? Could it be the desire to linger in sin? That's exactly why Lot and his wife delayed to leave Sodom. 
because their heart was still there and they desired, they desired to stay. Here's the thing. They were not through with sin. And listen, until you, until you and I, when we see our feet are out of God's way, until you and I get to a point where we are finished with it, we are thoroughly done with sin. That, that, that resolve, that disgust of sin, when we are thoroughly finished, and this, this includes, this is also true of salvation. It must come to a point where we are thoroughly done that's when repentance happens because that's when there's no longer any lingering or delay, but there's haste. And then there's also the issue of boasting. Putting something off because we think we have opportunity to do it tomorrow. But we have no guarantee of that. I can always obey the Lord later. I came across this quote. I guess this is a Sunday school lesson of quotes because I like, I like these quotes. Trust me. I, I only read you a small portion of what I read. So, But this was fantastic. When we dare not flatly deny, we delay. That's good. When we dare not flatly deny, we delay. As Christians, as church people, and we all are, <laughs> That's why we're here. We know there's certain things we're not supposed to say. All right? We're not supposed to flatly say no. It's like that parable with the, the two sons and the, the father told one son to go do something. He said, I will not. And the other said, I go, Lord. But then he didn't go. So we, we dare not say no, Lord. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to obey. But then we don't do it. We delay obedience. And lastly, verse 62. Maybe I can pick up 63 next week because we're going to be out of time. But at midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. You know, this is similar. When I read this, I thought about, I thought about the, the idea of secret prayer. Did you know as a believer our relationship to God should primarily be private. What do I mean by that? It doesn't mean we, we don't come to church and we don't have a public relationship with other believers. So, Lord, we do. But our primary relationship to God is one that is secret. It's with just the Lord and me. That's why the Lord tells us when you, when you, when you pray, enter into thy closet and pray to thy Father which seeth in secret. Because it is a private, personal walk with Him. That is the real, listen, that's the real core. That's the bread and butter of the Christian life. It is not being at church. Being, being at church is an important part of the Christian life. It's important to be among brothers and sisters in the family of God. Yes, it is vital. But the core and the bread and butter of the Christian life is your walk with God privately. Right? Right? And this also includes thanksgiving. Notice what it says. At midnight will I rise and give thanks. There's no mention of prayer here. No, that is of request. This is undisturbed and unheard thanksgiving. He rises at midnight. He puts off sleep 
just like our Lord did. Our Lord was known to pray at night. Remember, in his day, there weren't nice places to go where they had lights and all that stuff. No, he went out in the middle of nowhere and prayed alone in the dark. Jesus did that frequently. But this says not asking God for things, but this is thanking God for things. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just been overwhelmed to the point that you got up at night and you just wanted to talk to God and tell him how much you appreciated what he had done for you? If you haven't, we go back to verse number, if you've never done that, we go back to verse number uh, verse number 58. I entreated with thy favor. You need to ask God for some grace to bring you to that point because that is a blessing. You slip away. Your husband, your wife don't know it. Your kids don't know it. You slip away to a quiet part of your house. It's completely dark. It's just you and God. You're undisturbed and nobody hears you. And at that place, you give thanks to God. Only God sees it. It's not for the praise of men. God sees your heart. You see, this is really the core of our walk with the Lord. This is what it's, this is it. And really our public worship and our public, you know, praise to God and our public life, Christian life with others and with other believers, it really hinges upon that. You can't have a public Christian life without a private Christian life or it's hypocrisy. You see, in this kind of prayer is sincere gratefulness because it's done in secret, in the secrecy of the heart. I want to look at verse 63, but we will have to wait to next time. All right? So we will conclude there. Let's pray together.